Hey there, welcome to the Rim Church Podcast. We're so glad you found us. The Rim Church is based in San Antonio, Texas, and we believe in loving Jesus, building family, and changing the world. Wherever you find yourself today, we trust that it is not by accident that you're listening to this message, and we believe that God has something to speak to you right where you are. For more information on what we're all about, go ahead and visit us at therim.church or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We hope you enjoy the message. In a major part, of Paul's letters is him here reminding these Jesus followers of their new identity, that you, you used to be dead in your sins, unable to fix yourselves, but because of what Jesus has done in his life, his death, burial, and resurrection, if we put our trust in him, then in Jesus, we become this new type of humanity and that we have a new type of identity. And Paul says things like this previously, that in Christ, like you're holy. Like you're, you're set apart. You're more loved than you could ever possibly imagine. That you're a beloved child. That you're God's poetry put on display for the world to see how good he is. But I want to pause. And I want you to think about that. Like, really let that sink in. If you're in this space, I think sadly so many of us have maybe heard the story so often that we've kind of become inoculated to it. That it's a lot like we've got like a flu shot. You get just enough of the flu so that it doesn't really affect you anymore. And so some of us, we've heard that story so often that we're like, yeah, yeah, cool, big deal. But it's a really big deal. And I want you to think about this. If you're in this space this morning, and you you know, and you you love Jesus, like you really are, you're, you're trying to follow after him, then the moment that you said yes to Jesus, you were adopted, no longer a slave, to your sins, now adopted into the family of God, loved, known by the God of the universe, that you have this relationship with him. But not only that, but the presence of God that spoke the world into existence now lives inside of you. And we, we have this tendency to be like, yeah, Drew, big deal. Yeah, we all, we all know. Like a lot of us, if we grew up in church, like, yeah, 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 we went to vacation Bible school. We know the songs. We know the hand motions. Jesus is deep, deep down in our hearts. Spell it. Like, yeah, we got it. (laughs) And sadly, we're underwhelmed by the fact that the same God that spoke the world into existence, the same God that knit you together inside of your mother's womb, now chooses to take up residence inside of you. And that the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the grave now courses through your veins. But this poses a major issue. And here's what it is. If that's actually true, if that's actually what Paul's trying to invite you and I into, then how is it that we can take many of our lives and we hold them next to, up next to, uh, maybe our, our, our not yet believing neighbors or friends, those that, that don't follow after Jesus, 
that don't have the Spirit of God dwelling inside of them. And if we're brutally honest this morning, what's the difference? What's the difference? Maybe, maybe, maybe we cuss a little bit less. We watch a few less rated R movies. We've got a committee meeting on Sunday mornings that we feel obligated to be at. And then that's about where it stops for many of us. And very few of us were trying to follow after Jesus. Fill in, in the everyday, ordinary parts of our lives. The Spirit prompting and leading us and guiding us and influencing us. Let me ask you this. What if, what if there's way more? What if, what if Paul's inviting us into the deeper waters of what it looks like to live out our lives influenced by the Spirit of God? Good news, I think that's what he's doing. And so, real quick, I want to kind of set us up before we kind of move into this particular text that we're going to be like wrestling with today, okay? Um, as Paul, the first three chapters, I could talk, the story of Jesus. And then he's going to shift in chapters four and five, and Paul gets really specific and clear. And he starts laying out some of these parameters of, of what it looks like for us to live inside of our new identity. And he's going to give us parameters and things like sex and money and relationships and anger and generosity and work ethic. And ultimately, he's going to show us how all of those things should look in our lives now as this new form of humanity. And Brad Hobbs, these last few weeks, has done a phenomenal job of unpacking that and showing us what that looks like. I strongly encourage you, if you missed these last few weeks, go back, check out the podcast. But today what we're going to do is we're going to zoom into these few verses in chapter 5 here. And Paul's actually going to take a turn. And he isn't going to give us any new parameters here. And instead, he wants to show you and I an immense amount of freedom that we have as these new humans in Christ. Now, I know that that sounds like a uh, kind of like a paradox. Like it's a, a contradiction. I mean, many of us, if we're honest, when we think about freedom, uh, we think about it as the opposite of parameters, right? That freedom equals no parameters. It means Freedom means I can do whatever I want. I can go wherever I want. And that's not the gospel's version of freedom. That Paul's actually going to say that doing whatever you and I want ultimately leads to a life of ruin, and so, actually, we find freedom in having parameters. Let me, I'll give you a quick example. In case you're like, ah, I'm not tracking. Okay, so Jane, my wife, and I, we are, we are parents uh, to two, two small children. Uh, we've got a three-and-a-half-year-old uh, named Tilly uh, who started pre-K this week. Uh, man, uh, I don't, don't clap. I'm, I'm not pumped about it. Um, <laughs> Like, I got weepy just, I was like, all of a sudden, you know, like, it feels like time just slows down, and you hear the music, and I can just see myself dancing with her on her wedding day, and I just like, I hate it. I don't, I'm not pumped. Um, I just slow down. Uh, and then uh, on the right, we have our uh, 
one, he's almost 15 months old, uh, son, Lyndon. Now, uh, here, here, I want you to hear this. One of my goals as a parent is to constantly reinforce the idea towards my kids of how much I love them, like how for I am for them. Like I just like forever, always. Like I want them to know how loved and how treasured they are to me. And this is really ultimately, it's all about their identity, like reminding them of who they are. But as a parent, I also, another goal is to keep them safe and to keep them alive. You got it? And so in order to do that, our household, we have to lay out some parameters in love to help our kids be safe because ultimately left to themselves, they will hurt themselves, okay? Kids get into everything, especially if you're a parent, you know this, okay? So we've laid out these parameters. I'll give you a few examples. Uh, we have like a, a baby gate that's at the top of our stairs because as Lyndon's starting to crawl, like we don't want him to like go through that gate and fall down the stairs and like hurt himself. It'd be really, really dangerous. Or we have like three cabinets uh, that, ha- that are childproof um, because inside of those, uh, those cabinets, there's dangerous objects like sharp things like knives or and one of them, there's uh, cleaning supplies, like these dangerous chemicals for a one-year-old, okay? Now, here's what's weird. We've created these parameters for my kids' safety. Because actually, I care more about their freedom and their flourishing than they do. Does this make sense? And in our lives, When we're given parameters by God, we have this tendency to fixate on the parameters and think that these these parameters are really cramping my style. And we focus on what's being told not to do, but we usually miss out on what children often neglect, especially when they're obsessing over the cupboard, is the fact, don't miss this, that the rest of the house is completely theirs that they have access to the rest of the home. It's all open to them. The whole house is open. It's like these few little spaces. That's an immense amount of freedom. So what Paul's doing throughout Ephesians is that he's, he's laying out a few parameters of what it looks like to live in this new, new identity. Um, and there really, there aren't that many. And now he's going to shift and show us outside of like those parameters, inside of that, how do we live out this freedom? Like, how does this freedom look in our everyday lives, in our work, and in our families, and our hobbies, and our career paths? But if we're honest, here's what's wild. It's the areas that we have the most freedom that we actually look for the parameters the most. So just think about it. You're given tons of freedom in maybe where you're going to go to school, what your job path should look like. Maybe even in some ways who, who you date, where you live. But what do we do? We grab the scripture and we go, God, give me a parameter. Show me where I'm supposed to move. Is it in here somewhere? And we look for God's will like it's some kind of like GPS point on a map, okay? But that's not, Paul's going to show us what it looks like to really walk in this freedom. So what does he say? Buckle up. Here we go. This is where this is going to get good, okay? Let's take a look. Ephesians chapter 5, like I said, we just read it, but let's read it again. Starting in verse 15, Paul says this. Pay careful attention. 
Like he's going to say, be, be super careful. Be really, really careful. Then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time or every opportunity because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And then don't get drunk with wine, uh, which leads to reckless living. Some translators say debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and submitting to one another in fear of Christ. Now, in your Bible, this one section is filled with a bunch of great one-liners. Things like, be wise, discern God's will, uh, be filled with the Spirit, sing psalms and stuff, you know? Um, But how does all this go together? Well, what Paul's doing here is he's giving us a north star, a guiding light, so that as you and I, as followers of Jesus, that we can know the parameters are, but a reminder, most of the areas that we live in have lots of freedoms. We need this north star. So the question he's trying to help us with is, in life, how are you and I supposed to live? How do we make decisions in these areas of great freedom that we have as followers of Jesus? And then Paul's going to give us these like three practices here. And he's going to say in verse 15, uh, with wisdom. He's going to say 17 is understanding God's will. And then in verse 18, being filled by the Spirit. That these are your guiding lights as you walk in your freedom as a follower of Jesus. And this... He's going to say at the end of this this section, this is how you know if you're tapping into those three things. Here's the results in your life. Here's the fruit that you should see in your life. And so he's going to kind of give us three practices and then three proofs. And here's what he says. Uh, He says that there's uh, music in verse 19. He's going to say that there's this, this heart of gratitude. There's giving of thanks. And then he's going to say that there's a submission to other people which is wildly unpopular in American culture. So, do I need to say anything else? You kind of got it. There it is. Uh, We'll wrap it up right there. Um, No, I'm just kidding. Um, I want us this morning to explore these areas. And we don't have time to go into all of them. I wish we did, like, to the depth that I think would really resonate in our heart. But I do want us to zero in on, on these three practices. Wisdom, understanding God's will, and being filled by the Spirit, and how they all fit together. They're all connected. These aren't three separate ideas. They're all interwoven, okay? So look down in verse 15. Paul begins the conversation about freedom by saying this, be super intentional. Like, be super careful. What's he saying? Like, hey, your decisions in life matter. Like, what you do in your day-to-day life really matters. So how you live matters. So be really intentional and careful. And then he's going to give us these these three pairs, these these three contrasting pairs. He's going to say, like, hey, not this, but this. Not this, but this. Not this, but this. Okay? And so the first pair we see is he says, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of the time, 
Or maybe some of your translations say, like, making the most of every opportunity. And so we'll go into that in just a little bit. The second thing here he says is don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And then don't get hammered, but be filled by the Spirit. Like, do you see them? Do you see these, these, these three here? I'll kind of maybe shift the gear, maybe help. So not unwise, but wise. Not foolish, but understanding. Not drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay? Now, they seem kind of random, but they're all connected. Let me show you this. Okay? These three pairs, they're all connected. So here, somehow, in Paul's definition of what it means to be a wise person, to walk in wisdom, is waking up and somehow having an intuition or learning throughout the day what God's will is for you that day, okay? And, and then, then through that, as you're learning to, to stay, like, to, to follow after Jesus' leadership, there's this influence by the Holy Spirit, okay? That's going to lead us into being fully mature human beings that aren't stupid, that don't get drunk, because those things can ruin everything. Those are going to set you back strides from growing and maturing as Christ followers. And so let's dive into these real quick and see how they influence our life. Once again, pay careful attention. Don't be unwise, but wise. Now, what's interesting is that when you hear your English word, wise or wisdom, what, what pops to mind? What do, you, what do you think of? What is it? Knowledge. Yeah, yeah. Somebody else. What power? An owl. An owl. Okay, yeah, I like that. It's true. Like uh, Winnie the Pooh, the wise old owl. Okay. What? Home? Old. Ah, that's pretty good. Old. Heard someone say smart, uh, like maybe high IQ, book smart, uh, has a lot of insight. Um, now, that's definitely involved in this concept of wisdom when the Bible talks about it. But the Bible has a much more robust and actually a really different version of what wisdom is. Uh, the Bible talks about knowledge, is what many of us were talking about. Um, it, but it talks also about this understanding. Um, and it has different words for the wisdom uh, that Paul's going to draw from. But I want to show you the word that he's actually really zeroing in. When he says the word wise, what he's thinking of, what he's thinking about. Now remember, Paul, I mean, he's uber-religious before starting to follow Jesus. I mean, understood, memorized the Torah, taught the Old Testament, like, I mean, super wise. So he knows these, these ancient scriptures, and that's what he's drawing from. And specifically, he's drawing from the book of Exodus in chapter 31, okay? And in the story of Exodus, it's a story where the Israelites, they're at Mount Sinai, and they've been redeemed out of slavery from Egypt, and God's designing among the people his own personal dwelling place, okay, uh, among the people. And so he's, he's building for himself a, a tabernacle so his presence can live and dwell. And so he's trying to figure out, okay, who do we r- kind of rally together to build this thing? And in Exodus 31, uh, starting in verse 2, I'll just read these few verses. This is what it says. Um, God speaks to Moses and says, look, I've appointed uh, by name uh, Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with God's spirit, with wisdom, 
understanding and ability in every craft. Like right here. This is a major influence for Paul here. Because this is very similar to the same word that he uses. All this is Hebrew, and Paul's speaking in Koine Greek. So how do you know, what the scripture is saying is, how do you know if someone is filled with the divine spirit? Well, look, he's going to go on in this chapter to say that what happens is that this guy here, he begins to take raw materials. He's going to take gems that are uncut wood that hasn't been carved, and he's going to begin to, through the divine spirit, he's going to begin to take raw potential and turn it into something beautiful. But that's, that's what the spirit of God does in our life. That's what walking in wisdom looks like. That wisdom is taking what is given to you and making the best of it. The wisdom is about stewardship. And God apparently takes great joy in investing his own personal presence in the lives of people to inspire them to make something great for his glory. So Paul is saying, pay careful attention than how you walk. Not as unwise people, but as wise. And you can see this. You can see the connection. Look how he he defines it in verse 16. Like, how did he find what it means to be wise? Not as smart or super intellectual or bookish. What does he say here in verse 6? What is wisdom? He says, making the most of the time. That's what it looks like to be wise. You're making the most of the time. And and I want to be real careful because there's a slight nuance here. A lot of times we hear that and our natural thought as we swing into kind of this like carpe diem, like seize the day, and like all of our like, you know, achievers in the room are like, yes, you know, let's go for it. And, uh, and that's not necessarily what he's saying. I, I, I see how I can get that connection. What, what he's saying is, is more um, of, of liberating the time. So it's not about maybe you accomplishing more. It's about you being present. You being in the moment. Not checking out. Not always on your phone. Not always trying to push out that last email or tackle that next project. And you're making the most of the time that's right in front of you. That you're taking the raw potential of day-to-day lives filled with a bunch of ordinary things. You're taking the raw material of relationships and work and bills. And what do you do with those raw materials? You do something great. And I think sadly as followers of Jesus, we oftentimes can be really dumb with what we've been given. Like we don't make the most of what's been given to us. And listen, we're still Christians. We're still followers of Jesus. Jesus is still absolutely in love with you, but you're just not being wise with your life. So the question is, how should we live in this new identity? And Paul's going to push us, every one of us, that we have the presence of God in our lives. And this presence urges us to become more and more capable of of making good decisions in our lives, to steward our relationships well, steward our jobs well, our finances, our stories well. And here's life. He kind of just goes, go for it. Be wise. Make, Make the most of it. Steward it well. Paul's being incredibly practical about our freedoms. 
And so that's the first one. Don't, don't be unwise. Be wise. Make the most of the time. But it doesn't stop there. He's going to pair it with this next one. So don't be foolish, but rather understand what God's will is, the Lord's will is. So if I'm wise, it means I'm cultivating this understanding that in any given day, I can make decisions that are more in alignment with God's heart or less in alignment with God's heart. And this throws a lot of us for a loop because many of us, we have a misconception of God's will as though it's some secret hidden purpose that you got to try to figure out, like it's national treasure. Is it God's will that I take this job or I get, that I get married or should I ask her out? Is that God's will? And we have this tendency to think of God's will as though it's something hidden, like it's a point on a map, like I said earlier, that we have to try to find it. And that's not at all how the Bible talks about God's will. Now pause real quick. Did you hear this? Don't miss this. Sometimes Paul does talk about God's will in light of the parameters that he set in place for this new life and this new kind of humans in Jesus. And he gave us a few examples in the previous chapters. Examples like, I mean, sexual integrity or sexual purity. Like he's going to say, hey, like having sex with someone that I'm not in marriage covenant with, that's never God's will. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, for this is God's will, that you keep away from sexual immorality. So it's never God's will for us to walk in sexual impurity. That's a quick way to ruin your life by having, someone, or having sex with someone that you're not married to. So that's one way that you can refer to God's will. But most of the time when Paul and the other biblical authors refer to God's will, it has way more to do with discerning what's pleasing to God. So I'll give you a quick example. Uh, I, I introduced my son, Lyndon. A second ago. And we've got the baby gates, the three cupboards that are child-proofed. But other than that, the whole house is open to him, fully available to him. Now, I want you to imagine that I have maybe a free afternoon. It's like our Sabbath, and we're resting, and we're just kind of hanging out, okay? Uh, I'll tell you what I'm not going to do. I'm, I'm not going to hover over Lyndon and be like, okay, buddy, Right now, we're going to play with our trucks. Okay, time's up. We're going to shift over here. Now, buddy, we're going to build something with these magnetiles or these blocks. Okay, hey, nope, shift. I want you now to play with your stuffed animals. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. That would be, like, be so obnoxious. You got it? Does that make sense? So listen, instead, Lyndon is free to do whatever. All, all of those options would be my will for him, which is to flourish as a little boy and be creative and have fun. But my will for him will never be that he stick his fingers in the electric sockets. Are you, are you tracking with me? That it'll never be my will, even though he probably thinks that would be really cool. That's another parameter. We've got those little plastic things that block it. Because we love him, and we care more about his freedom and his flourishing than he does. Like, do you see this, church? Like, are you, are you tracking with me? There are all kinds of things that could be God's will for your life. But how does this actually work? Well, that's where the third element 
of contrast is all about. And this is where I want to focus. So the third contrast says this, verse 18. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. And Paul uses this phrase, reckless living. Some, like I said, I think old translators use the word debauchery, which we just don't even use that word anymore, uh, which just means without restraint. It means without parameters, without boundaries. So many people think that the point Paul's trying to make is a comparison of don't get drunk on wine, instead uh, get hammered in the spirit. Um, and there are, here's what's wild, there are a lot of traditions uh, and the faith traditions that actually kind of lean into that type of mindset. And when you think about uh, you know, behavior, when the Holy Spirit shows up, the language, a lot of people, it's like, uh, it gets real weird. And it gets real crazy, real fast. And all of a sudden, there's a lot of like slurred speech and people start kind of like, you know, moving real funny. And you're like, oh, it's like being drunk. And honestly, this is, I don't think this is what Paul had in mind at all. Because he's contrasting things, right? He's saying, don't get drunk. That's a whole kind of behavior that we're going to talk about in a second, but instead be filled by the Spirit. There's this completely different kind of behavior that we're called to step into as as a new humanity. The only similarities that you see between being drunk and filled with the Spirit is this idea of influence. And that's where the similarities stop, okay? So Paul uses this image here of not getting drunk with wine, and all of a sudden the idea of making good decisions, discerning through decisions, like what am I going to do with my day-to-day life that pleases the Lord? Well, this involves you beginning to think about your life. Let that sink in. It, It begins with you starting to think about your life, and one of the ways, watch, that we choose not to think about our lives is by getting drunk, right? In fact, one of the primary reasons that people drink regularly is because thinking about our lives gets so painful. And so Paul, in this new humanity, he's laying out this, another parameter. In this new humanity, there's all kinds of influences that you want to avoid, especially influences that have this way of impairing you and impairing your good decision-making in moments and understanding God's will for you. And so listen, pause. There's this whole alcohol-Christianity conversation that's not controversial at all, right? Um, just kidding. Uh, so just real quick, here's my 30-second sidebar what it's worth, okay? Take it or leave it. Uh, Some of you are going to love this, some of you are going to hate it. Um, You will not find one verse in this Bible uh, that speaks uh, of prohibition of alcohol. There's not one verse that says that drinking is a sin or consumption of alcohol is sin. You're not going to find that verse. (laughs) I'm not turning around. I don't want to know. Just kidding. (laughs) But what you do find is the exact opposite. I'll just give you a few. Psalm 104, for example, is all about this celebrating the gift of wine that God has given us um, and how it actually gladdens the heart. Jesus at a wedding of Canaan, his first uh, miracle, um, they run out of wine and Jesus turns water into wine, not grape juice. And if you're like, I don't know, like, well, no, listen, literally, they, they pass around the wine, and the, the MC, if you will, is like, hey, uh, normally you serve the best wine uh, at the front end. This guy, these people waited to, to save the best wine, which means it's to age the longest to the end. Doesn't make sense. 
So the Bible talks about alcohol, and typically it talks about its potential to be something beautiful, and it's usually tied to celebration. But there are just as many passages that while they don't prohibit drinking, they absolutely warn us against the abuses of alcohol. Proverbs 31 is one of those profound passages. That alcohol is one of those things that you have to be super wise with. Because for some people, to enjoy a bottle of wine at dinner with friends or go out for a drink, it's actually a way to celebrate. And we can celebrate with a good glass of Pinot Noir or a well-made old-fashioned. But for some people, having uh, a drink like this, even though you're a follower of Jesus, that 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 behavior could actually be really foolish and really unwise because of that person's unique story, because of alcoholism that ruins their family, or because they know that they have an addictive kind of personality, or because they just know that they're in a tough season in life, and there's a temptation to have another, and then another, and then another. And if we're honest, we just don't want to think about life right now. And that's exactly what Paul is focusing in on here, that alcohol is this outside influence that can numb our senses, our wisdom, and our understanding. I mean, just think about it. And just a side, side note, how alcohol affects our brains. Many of you know this. I don't, you don't have to Google this. You, most of you know it. One of the many parts of your brain uh, is called your, uh, your prefrontal lobe or cortex. And it's the part of your brain that allows you uh, the ability to be aware of and think through multiple sequences and consequences of your actions. So in like my two children, that part of their brain is underdeveloped, okay? Does that make sense? It's why Lyndon can be like, ah, I think it would be amazing to stick my finger in that electric socket, okay? Like he's not thinking about the consequences of those actions, okay? It just looks cool to him. So alcohol impairs that part of your brain that allows you to actually think wisely through your consequences or decisions. Once again, listen, you most of you know this. Uh, you don't have, it's not rocket science. Uh, we all know that getting drunk makes you do really stupid things. But it's really interesting because this all fits together to make pa- Paul's point here. If I'm a follower of Jesus, if I'm a new kind of human, if Jesus really has taken up residence inside of me, if I'm under his leadership and his influence, then I choose to say no to influences that are going to dehumanize me and make me less of the human that God has called me to be. And for some of us, that might be alcohol, depending on our story and our struggles. So Paul isn't saying don't drink. He's saying Know who you are. Know your story. Be wise. And don't get drunk. Okay? Uh, and the flip side of don't get drunk is be filled with the Spirit. And there's a lot that could be said about this. And oftentimes, this gets really confusing and controversial. So I'm just going to say a few quick things. When, ta- when Paul talks about being filled by the Spirit, um, this is really important. Because I hear a lot of times people talk about the, Im- the opposite imagery in their mind is that you can lose the Spirit. Okay, um, like it can come and go, and then somehow we need to get it back, as though the spirit is like kind of gas in our the tank of our car, and then every once in a while we need to swing by a station and get it filled back up. That's not that's not the image at all that he's he's painting here. Okay, uh, he's he's not saying that you can lose the spirit, but 
in Ephesians 4.30, Paul does say that we can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So if you put your trust in Jesus, whether that's three-month process, a year process of learning to follow him, or maybe one single moment, whatever your conversion process looks like, the Bible says that you were baptized and you were immersed in the Spirit. Or to maybe use another illustration, it's like the moment you said yes to Jesus, like God took a stamp that just had the word mine on it. He like stamps you. He seals you. Like that one's mine. And there's nothing you can do to change that. There's nothing you can do to, to lose that. You're marked. You're stamped. You can't do anything to undo that. You can't unbaptize yourself or unseal yourself. But what you can do is you can grieve the presence of Jesus. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. Or Paul would say in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, he says you can extinguish or put out the flame of the Spirit in your life. Or maybe let's say it more positively. Paul is inviting us into newer and newer experiences of, God, of Jesus' presence that influence, influence us and fill us up more and more until you and I start to think, wow, I'm starting to get traction in this whole following Jesus thing. But at the same time, I'm also discovering areas of my life that the Spirit's not in control. And I want him to have control in those areas. I want, I want that area to be filled up and under his influence. So how does it work? Let's get real practical, okay? Uh, this illustration has been really, really helpful for me uh, in this kind of journey of walking with the Spirit and keeping in step with him. Um, so I am Drew Worsham, and I am without a doubt a better version of myself, a better human uh, when my wife is present in my life. You got it? All the married men are like, yes, amen. Without a doubt, getting married to Jane was the best possible thing I could have done for myself, okay? And one of the ways that I know that I'm the best version of myself uh, is because when Jane's not around, let's say she takes the kids and they go up to Dallas for a weekend to hang out with the in-laws, um, I... She's gone for more than a day, and I just kind of revert back to old ways and old habits. Like, I stay up way too late. I watch way too much TV, spend way too much money on DoorDash, eating food that doesn't help me. Um, and I can become super disorganized, which I'm already very unorganized. But when she ends it around, like, I just, my life seems to crumble a bit. There's something about Jane's actual presence in my life where she makes me a better human being. Now, this raises an interesting question. If her presence in my life compels me, inspires me to want to be more responsible, have better sleep patterns, be more generous, uh, or just better in every way, um, and it's all because of her influence in my life. But the inter interesting question is this. Is that me doing that and changing myself as a human being or is it her? Who's actually doing the work here? In other words, I know for a fact that I've grown and changed as a human. Is that just me making good decisions or is that her? Okay, which is ultimately the wrong question. Because Jane definitely has this huge influence on my life. But at the end of the day, it's me that makes the decisions to come underneath her influence. 
I do. It's me, okay? I have to make the difficult decisions about setting new habits and new patterns in my behavior. But there's no way that I would ever be motivated uh, to make those decisions if she, Jane wasn't in my life in the first place, okay? Do, do, do you see where I'm, I'm kind of going with this? That's what Paul's trying to communicate, that if it weren't for the presence of Jesus in our life, if it wasn't for the, the presence of the Holy Spirit speaking into our lives, honestly, we probably wouldn't care. We'd just be left to our own, like, our own imagination of what it would mean to be a good human being. But if we open ourselves up to the Spirit, who's trying to speak into our lives, whose presence both convict and also speak new truths and point out ways that we're totally outside of the parameters, that aren't wise, that aren't in alignment with this new humanity, then we begin to be transformed into who God has called us to be and who he's invited us to become. So how? I'm going to end with this. How do we know if we're walking in this wisdom, understanding God's will for our life, and then also under the influence of God's spirit and his guidance? Paul tells us this. We'll finish reading. Three proofs. Speaking in one another in Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, and making music with your heart to the Lord. The book of Psalms, real quick, was the songbook of the earliest Christians. This is our, our scriptures. We have these here. And so I want just to pause. I think here, he starts off and he says that it's speaking. So speaking truth. And speaking in, 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 a, in, a, in a poetic way. I love that. There's this music. There's this speaking truth in love to one another is one of the ways. Like it's, it's truth on our heart. Like, do we know God's word? Like, he's saying, hey, it'll, it'll come out. It's like, it's out of the overflow of this heart, the mouth begins to speak. And, and is it filled with the truth of God's word? And also, is it connected to music? I love that he mentions that. These hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. Like, man, I could, there's so much that I could just kind of tap in to here. And I get it. Listen, especially for our guys in the room, we're like, oh, I just don't sing. This is not my thing. Um, man, I think I would buy that if, um, if I didn't know so many of the guys in the room that all of a sudden they start dating that girl and every, I mean, it's just like, you know, it's before, you know, the veil's torn and it's like, man, it's perfect. And that country music song comes on the radio and it's just like, like belting it out. In the car. Like I've seen some of you guys. I've seen some of you guys just like lose your mind in those moments or just like express this. Oh, this is it. This is the words that my heart was looking for. And thank you, you know, Luke Bryant. And so, um, or, man, I've said this before. I slide you right now an envelope. And you open that envelope and inside of it is a check written out to you for $10 million. I doubt the posture would be like, eh, thank you. Really grateful for this gift. No, I think there'd probably be a lot of gratitude. There'd be a lot of stirring. There'd be a lot of movement. There'd probably even some dancing. There's, why? Because in your heart, you recognize the gift that you hold. And I think so sadly, I mean, just real talk, aside, like some of you guys got $10,000, like walked off here like that. And I'm literally, you're calling me singing. Like, uh, 
Like there's, but I think for many of us, we don't understand the gift that we hold in our lives. And so we're just like, oh yeah, cool song. But all Paul also says that not only just this life of, of truth and music, but there's also, there's this giving thanks, this heart of gratitude, this new poetry and language inspired by the scripture that we speak to one another. And then the, oh, the last one he says that, so there's this music, there's this heart of gratitude, but also this one doesn't seem to fit. There's this submitting to one another. That's how you know that the Spirit's working in your life. That's how you know that you're understanding God's will. That's how you know if you're walking in wisdom, if there's a submission to other people in your life. The fool is the one that says, I'll do me, you do you. Which flies in the face of our culture. Submission. He lays out these parameters of what it means to be a new human. He gives us this huge area of freedom, and then he talks about what it means to be influenced into becoming a new form of humanity, being wise, learning how to understand God's will in everyday situations. And how do we do that? We become open to the influence of Jesus' presence and the Spirit in our life. We submit to it because that's the way we're going to grow, church. That's the way we become who we want to be and who we've been created to be this new type of humanity. I'll, I'll end real quick with this. Um, this week, uh, I had lunch um, with one of you who I consider uh, one of my closest friends. And over the course of lunch, there was a moment where this person looked and just said, Drew, I think there's a gap in your life from where you want to be and where you are. And, and I love you enough to speak this into your life, to speak this truth. And I'll be real honest, like I walked away from that lunch pretty bummed out, a little discouraged, kind of a little defensive. Um, and the next morning I woke up and I'm kind of just preparing and looking through the scripture and I get to this part where Paul tells us that one of the evidences of walking in God's will and understanding it and being influenced by the Spirit and walking in wisdom is that we submit to one another. That my friend was able to have the courage to speak psalms and truth about integrity into my life. And when I was able to submit to that, it took a little bit, took a couple hours. Um, but that, that morning, but all of a sudden, God began to highlight and go, there's some truth here, Drew. And I began to just go, okay, I can, I can submit not only to my friend's truth and wisdom that he's spoken in my life, Jesus, I submit to your spirit. I'm going to be really honest with you. In a very strange way like I've never experienced before, my heart became so thankful, like just filled with gratitude and thanksgiving because that I have people that love me enough that be willing to step into my life and help me become the man that God wants me to be. Which led me, true story, to turning the radio up just a little bit louder and singing a song of thanksgiving to the God that loves me and sees me 
and invites me into so much more. Church, this does not have to be some wild, crazy, unobtainable thing. This truth, this invitation is before each and every one of us today. That God's spirit invites us into the deeper waters. And it starts with knowing who Jesus is. And so I just want to, man, we don't do this very often, but I just want to encourage you, if you're in this space today and you don't know Jesus, like you know about him, but like a living, breathing, real relationship where you walk with him, he speaks to you and you hear his voice and like that's foreign, man. The church thing, check the box. Get some little nuggets of wisdom like it's a Christian, you know, fortune cookie. Um, that's there, but not really walking and knowing Jesus. Surrendering your life to his influence. If that's not a part of your story, man, I can't encourage you enough. And maybe this is what you need to hear this morning. Whatever Jesus is asking of you today, he is absolutely worth it. Absolutely worth it. Thanks so much for listening. We hope that today's message resonated with you. It's our hope that you wouldn't be merely inspired, but that you would actually be transformed by something you heard today. At the Rim Church, we always ask two questions when processing God's word. What is God saying to you? And what are you going to do about it? We encourage you to take a moment, reflect, and then to share with a friend or send us a message. We'd love to hear what God is teaching you and how we can help you take your next step in obedience. Until we meet again, we love you, church.